Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Hey, we're here today with Derek Borthwick talking about how to communicate better with teenagers by understanding how to read their body language. Derek is a communication expert and a certified business coach who's worked all over Europe with some of the world's largest companies, and he's lectured at some of Scotland's top universities. He has diplomas in business coaching, clinical hypnotherapy, and neuro-linguistic programming, and he is a certified master practitioner of NLP. We're going to be speaking with Derek about all kinds of really subtle and helpful communication tips and tactics that we can use with teenagers. We're going to talk about how we can get teens to be more accepting of what we're talking about by giving them a reason. We're going to look at some of the mistakes parents often make in asking questions, and we're going to see how to ask better questions. We're going to look at how to use language softeners to make what we're talking about or asking about more digestible and easy for teens to get behind. We're going to talk about presuppositions and how we can subtly presuppose things in our language so that our teens will just be more likely to go along with it. We're also going to cover something called the heart trigger, which is a technique that Derek uses before he speaks and is something that parents could do before any important conversation with a teenager to really just open up communication and make things go more smoothly. We're also going to look at how to enhance our awareness as parents, and we're going to talk about the problem with the word nice and the word awesome and how we can replace those words with something more helpful and descriptive. And uh, after all of this discussion about language and using the right words. We're also going to get into the power of pausing and how we can use pauses in just the right way as parents to get our teenagers' attention and push the conversation to a deeper level. It's going to be very practical and useful information on this episode that we can apply directly to our next conversation with a teenager. So looking forward to all that and uh, and whatever else comes up during the conversation. Derek, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So you've written a number of books now. You just had a new book come out just the other day. You have written about body language, communication, negative thinking, all kinds of topics. How did you get started with all this and how do you decide what to write about? Yeah, that's a great question. My, my background is in finance and I've worked for a number of large financial companies. And there came a point where I really had enough of this and I'd always had an interest in how the mind works and particularly with hypnosis and NLP that I came across way back in the 90s when I was a good bit younger and a good bit slimmer as well. <laughs> and it was um, 
So something that's a passion of mine, and I carried on reading about this as, we, as I was going along throughout my career. And I decided when we had lockdown here, I mean, I'm calling from the UK today, when we had mm. lockdown, I decided that I'd always wanted to write a book, Andy, and I felt I had a lot of knowledge. And it really came about from, I was in Toastmasters International, and I was the president of the local club. And I like to give things back and help young people because they have a lot of confidence issues. And, and I've been around the block, as we say here, quite a while. So I felt I could give a lot back to them. And I was speaking to people and saying about body language and communication skills and things that I thought everybody knew. And the few know this, Derek. So I decided that I wanted to incorporate this. I'm going to write a book. I got out my um, phone, started doing, and the first book was actually from more of a professional background on a sales book that I combined half of it how it works and half of it was the, the business. I felt that was a good one to start off with. And then from that came body language, how to talk to anybody, and the latest one, how to eliminate negative thinking. You talk a lot about awareness and how to develop a deeper level of awareness. And I thought that was really interesting because so much of reading body language is about just being more observant. And I wonder what we can do as parents to develop a deeper level of awareness when we're speaking with our teenager, having important conversations. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And we go back to the fundamentals here, that the outer expression is a reflection of the inner thought. So that gives us a clue when somebody is behaving in an unusual manner, that will be reflected through their body language. So you could imagine if you've ever seen an athlete winning a race, they always have the hands up in the air, yeah. the head, head looks back. You know, you don't see somebody leaning over with their hands around by their groin area and making themselves smaller because for each emotion, there is a corresponding body language that we already know and can read body language, Andy. Every one of us can do it. It's the degree to which we can do it and whether we can pick up on the more subtle things that are displayed. For example, if somebody came running towards you with a sword, you pretty much know what that body language means. <laughs> it's, it's when it gets a little bit more subtle that we have to pick it up. Yeah. So looking at some of the things that we can do to begin with, the very, very basic things we can look for are people move towards things they like and they move away from things that they don't like. So those are basic things. How can we train ourselves to do this? Some people think that body language is a bit manipulative and you're trying to manipulate people to get them to do things that they don't want to do. It's not actually the case. It's perfectly normal. It's a bit like a dance. I mean, you and I are speaking today via the internet. If we were in a cafe across in your part of the world and sat down, our body language would start mirroring each other. Mm. And that's because the more alike we are to somebody, then the more rapport we'll build with them. Yeah. So one of the things we can start doing, Andy, as parents is start becoming aware. And you can train yourself to do this. So when you're walking down the street, you're going to your local store, start looking at people and think of yourself as a bit like a detective. Mm. How much information can you get from that other person when you know nothing about them? Do they look confident? Do they look shy? Do they look tense? Are they relaxed? How quick are they walking? Are they walking upright with their head back? Are they looking down, talking to themselves? So there's all these clues that we can train ourselves to be aware of. And the key thing, Andy, is getting away from that internal voice. You know, the little chatter that goes on when you speak to somebody and you're thinking, I can't wait for my turn so I can speak <laughs> <next."> <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> we all do it. So what we want to do is get away from that and try and focus on the other person. Yeah. And there's a little trick you can use here. You know, I've got children and they can be very, very testing at times. I think that my daughter in particular really knew how to press my hot button. <laughs> <laughs> she has, she's particularly good and she has a knack of it. But one of the things that we can do in any body language situation, the book explains all the patterns, but one of the quickest ways is to develop an intense desire to get to know somebody and really, really want to get to know them. And you'll find that you'll have congruent or congruent behavior that will reflect this. You know, when people don't like each other, Andy, the town is not big enough for them. Mm. And you can see that with the body language. If you're ever in a business meeting or you're even in a social setting, people who don't like each other will keep as far apart yeah, as they can from each other. Right. So there's a lot of things that we can do there. And it's useful to learn the body language patterns. It's not an exact science, but it does give you an indication. So if you're speaking to particularly children, as we become adults, Andy, we become a little bit better at covering up right. lying signals, you know, totally. we get a bit more subtle about it. If you look at a, a young child, now I, I've got a six-year-old that's about to be seven in a few days and his body language, he gives the game away a lot. Mm. So with children, think about it. They would cover their mouth with a hand, wouldn't they? If you say, have you been lying? And they immediately cover their mouth with a hand. If people don't want to look at something, the children will immediately cover their eyes with their hands. Mm. Now, as adults, we're a bit more savvy. You know, we've learned things like over the years, Andy, so we're not going to give the game away that easily. Totally. But we will do a subtle thing. We may pull at our eyelids, so we may just touch just beneath the eye. So these are all indications that people are uncomfortable. So in body language, we're really looking at people that are in either two states, Andy. They're either in a feeling of comfort or they're either in a feeling of tension. Mm. And people will move between those two things. Yeah. So for example, you can read body language. If you see somebody with an angry face and they're gnarling their teeth at you and the bottom lip becomes smaller, these are signs of distress and discomfort to an extreme level. So we can all read it. It's whether or not we can read the most subtle aspects. Mm. So what do we do if we notice we're talking to someone and they're exhibiting lots of signs of discomfort? A lot of times, I think, when we're talking to teenagers, they're really closed off body language and we get the feeling like they don't want to be talking to us or they're kind of blocking their body with their arms or exhibiting signs of discomfort, as you're saying, I guess. So then you talk about mirroring in the book, but do we want to mirror that? Because then we're looking uncomfortable also. How do we respond when we get shutting down body language from a teenager? Yeah, I think when you're speaking to teenagers, one of the things that's important is to assess whether it's a good time to speak to them. It may be a good time for us, but it's not always a good time for them. And you're right that the mirroring would tend to be more useful with the adults. With the teenagers, we have to incorporate the use of language as well yeah. to try and get them to open up. And again, one of the things that we can do is, my mother is particularly good, Andy, at pointing out my weaknesses. <laughs> and she's, very, she's very good at telling me what I need to do. Now, <laughs> as a parent, if I could give you one big bit of advice, and that is, Try and avoid telling people what to do. <laughs> yeah. So imagine we, we are sitting there. I'm in your office with you, Andy, or sitting next to you. Yeah. And I said, Andy, get me a coffee, will you? There's a little voice inside your head that goes, F you. <laughs> <laughs> 
get your own coffee. Now, if we can put context around something, so if I said to you, Andy, get me a coffee, please, because I'm just about to go on a webinar or on a call, it seems more plausible. And you would then mm. likely do this because people will always accept what they conclude and they will resist what they're told. And particularly with teens, the more that you try and tell them what to do, yeah. the more they're going to resist. To use another analogy, imagine that I was standing next to you and I said, hold your body nice and firm, Andy, and I start pressing on your shoulder. <laughs> you will start resisting that. Otherwise, you will topple over. Now, exactly the same thing happens with language. Mm. The more that you tell someone what to do, the more they're going to resist. Have you ever been at a party or a bar? Some of your listeners may identify with this. And a topic of conversation comes up and you've kind of got a slight opinion about it, but it's not a big deal. Yeah. And then in comes somebody who is a bit of a know-it-all and they're desperate to force you to their way of thinking. And by the end of the evening, you're arguing for something that you weren't really that <laughs> Yeah, all because somebody has tried to force you. Now, with teens, it's an extreme example of this. Mm. So we have to tread very, very carefully. And again, it's trying to understand their map of the world. Now, if I can just digress, I know you asked me about body language. We'll come back to that in a second. Yeah. Everybody creates their version of reality based on their primary senses. And we all interpret reality differently. If you and I went to the cinema or a movie theater, we would come out and you may like the film and I may dislike the film. Uh -huh. It's the same film we are seeing. And you may say, I really enjoyed that particular part in the film. And I say, I didn't see that. Mm. Or maybe you watch a movie for the second time and you spot more things going on. So we're only aware of a very small proportion of what's going on. For example, you're now aware of the feelings of your mouth you're now aware of the feelings in your left hand. So all this was going on. It's the level of awareness that you have and you can move people's awareness around. Hmm. So we need to be very careful when speaking to teenagers that we're not focusing on bringing to awareness something that they don't want to talk about mm. and something they weren't aware of, but they are now because you've highlighted it. Yeah. One of the things we can do is to try and have open body language. Good communicators will communicate with their palms open. Mm. Showing your palms indicates honesty. I don't know if you say in the US, but in the UK, we say she was a closed book. Mm. Yeah. You may say, I met her. She was a lovely person. She was really open. Somebody is open to ideas. So the language already gives us a clue and if you pay attention to that, the body language will then reflect that as well. So people who are more open, think about a party when you go to someone who's very warm and friendly. What type of voice do they have? What's the body language like? Is it closed? Uh, do they speak in a monotone like this? Or are they more excited? So these are things that you can do. It's really important to build a relationship with your team and try and understand the world from their point of view. I'm sure to us being a bit older, their view of the world is a bit mad. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to make sense. And we're going, you what? You really? But we do need to realize that the more we push them, the more they're going to resist. Mm. 
So please, please be aware of that. And it's important, not just for teens in all aspects of life, with your partner and business, whatever you're doing, but particularly with teens, as I've had experience of myself. Well, and that also points to something that you talk about in your book on how to talk to anybody is questions and, and how a lot of times I think we ask questions that aren't really helpful or we ask them in a way that's not really helpful and that shuts down the conversation. Questions can be so powerful and useful and can really open things up if we ask them in the right way. I found the tips in your book really helpful. I wonder what you think would be most applicable when you're talking with a teenager in terms of types of questions to avoid and how to maybe rethink the way that you're asking questions so that you can be opening them up instead of shutting them down. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a fascinating point question, particularly with teenagers. Let's look at some of the basics we can look at. Now, I'll give you some more advanced things that I use when I'm training people. Mm. But let's start off with open questions and closed questions. Now, if any of your listeners have got very young children, and I'm talking probably sub eight years old, possibly a little bit younger than that, they are very, yeah. very good at training you for questions. Like <laughs> If I said to my son, who is, he's going to be seven shortly, when he was about five, six, did you have a good day at school? Yes. <laughs> did you have fun? Yes. <laughs> so the answer in one word, so a closed question will always get the answer yes or no, particularly from young people and teenagers as well, because they don't want to expend a lot of, a lot of energy. Yeah. An open question is harder to say yes or no to. If I said, what did you like most about school today? It encourages them to open up. Now, okay, the teenagers and young kids, they've got a strategy for this, and they say, don't know or can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So we have to try again, and we can inject a bit of humor. Humor is a great way of diffusing things. And I say to my young son, well, I can't remember where the television control is. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I played tennis today. I did this. So we can, he's younger, obviously, but we can use the same sort of things with teenagers as well. Now, big, big tip for your listeners is try and avoid the question, why? Okay. Mm. When I say open questions, I should elaborate on that. That is who, when, why, what, where, and how. Yeah. Try and avoid the question word why. I'll tell you why, Andy, because when you ask somebody the question word why, it encourages them to justify their behavior. Great if you're a therapist or if you're trying to solve a particular problem. Not good in everyday communication generally. Uh, yeah. See, for example, Andy, suppose that I was sitting next to you and I said to you, why did you buy that shirt? There's an element of, well, that's a bit cheeky. And then you would start justifying your behavior. Right, now, yeah. Yeah. Now, notice the difference if I subtly change the language and I said, what was it you liked most about that shirt that made you buy it? Slightly different, isn't it? feels different. Yeah. It's less intrusive. So try and avoid the question word, why? If you're going to use why, okay, a little tip for your viewers is to use the word might because it allows people a get out. Remember me telling you to get me a coffee? Oh, yeah. If I said to you, why should you pay attention at school? The mm. children are going to have a, well, you're kind of telling me yeah, I should. That's a command a little bit, right. yeah. Exactly, exactly, Andy. Now, let's look at it a different way. Why do you think it might be a good idea 
to pay attention at school. Mm. See, it's very subtle, but what we are doing is we are giving them the option to say, well, it isn't a good idea, but also <laughs> we, we are starting to get them to list the reasons why, and they end up selling the idea to themselves. Yeah, I love yeah. that. Yeah, that's really cool. You talk a lot about softeners, how to soften things or tone things down in the book. And I think that's really powerful and important. Yeah, it is. And it's useful in all aspects of life. And I'll tell you why I know about this. And when I was younger, I went on a training course. Yeah. And they encouraged people to ask open questions. And I thought, this is great. And I was very young and I was learning all about this. And I went out on a date and I took it literally. <laughs> I started asking this girl, where are you from? How long have you been here? And she said, you ask a lot of questions, don't you? And it didn't go very well. So the way to do this, and let me give you an example. Suppose that I was asking you questions and I said, what's your name? And you answer. And I say, where are you from? And you answer. And then I say, how long have you lived there for? Round about that point, you start to go, hang on. This is an interrogation. <laughs> yeah, interrogation. Yeah, nobody wants that, do they? Yeah. So there's a way around that. What we do is, remember, the brain always likes context. Mm. And I'll give you just three little rules, actually, here with the brain, okay? So the confused mind always says no. The suspicious mind always says no. And the angry mind always says no. Mm. And you can get people angry by confusing them. So remember, <laughs> you have to keep things really, really simple. Yeah. Suppose that you said to somebody, why did you miss that lesson today? Immediately, you're in the word why. Yep. Okay, so people are going to start being defensive and justifying right. the behavior. And then, yeah, roll on, we have an argument. Now, if you can put some context around it and say, the word curious is very good as well. You say something like, I'm curious just so that I can understand why the lessons are not so important or are not going so well for you. Why did you miss that lesson today? Mm. Do you feel it's slightly less intrusive? Yeah, yeah, right. There's something that goes on in the UK. I don't know if it translates so well across to the US, but I'll give you an example here. I, I picked this up actually from some well-heeled stockbrokers. Oh, okay. We would describe those as being wealthy and well-educated, and I guess the upper class. Yeah. And there's a phrase I picked up years ago. It's quite clever because what it does is it's called presumption. And they would say, I wonder if you would be kind enough to close the door. Mm. So closing the door is presumed. It's whether someone is kind enough to do it. That's the question. Do you see that? It's quite subtle. Oh, I expand wow. on this in the book. Yeah. So whenever you can do that, you can try and use presumption in there. But the best way to think about language softness is, imagine that I was to give you, I've got a present for you, Andy, and I just come out and I give you the present let's just say it's a new phone and i give you the box Ooh. the phone in the box okay okay it's not thank you it's, you go thanks very much ah. okay? now if i can wrap it up with some nice paper and put a bit of a bow around it mm. you open it up and it's a much nicer way to deliver it so we think of the language softness as the wrapping paper around the question it softens it you can really ask some quite personal questions about people as long as you give context and you wrap the language softness around it. This is really important, I think. And a lot of times I hear parents who use more simple attempts at 
trying to placate or preface our questions with things like, now, now, okay, don't get mad, but I need to ask you about missing class today, or don't take this the wrong way. But, um, <laughs> and, and, and I feel like that immediately, I don't even know what you're going to ask me. And I'm already taking it the wrong way. I'm, I'm already mad. <laughs> it's the right instinct. We know that we should kind of soften it somehow or put the little something else around it to sort of cushion the blow of what we're about to ask or tell our teenager. But I don't know. I've always felt like it comes off wrong when we use phrases like that. Um, <laughs> and what you're advocating here is, I think, a lot more effective. It is, and it's a wonderful example you've given there, Andy. I love that. Let me show you what I mean. The brain has to process information. So any suggestion you make, as I said earlier, you're now aware of the sensation in your mouth. Yeah. You weren't before. So for your listeners, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. Okay? <laughs> so please don't think about a pink elephant. So you have to, the way the brain works is you have to think about the pink elephant first, and then you delete it. So if I say to you, and it's a wonderful example you've given there, you know, don't take this the wrong way. It means the brain goes, right, okay, I need to take this the wrong way. Oh, he doesn't want me to do that and delete. Now, with every word has an appropriate emotion that is associated with that. So first of all, to understand it, you have to visualize the pink elephant. Yeah, it's an emotion. Yeah, how, how would I take it the wrong way? What would that even look like? Oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> and what's the right way? Exactly. And, yeah. So it, using the word might is quite important. I'm going to share a little secret with you as well. Yeah. And that is it's the way people are wired. Now, everybody is just that little bit selfish, including teenagers, particularly teenagers. Oh, yeah. And they're interested in what's in it for me. We're all tuned to that radio station, WIIFM. What's in it for me? Mm. Okay, so it's really, really important that when you're addressing somebody that you cover that topic. And if you don't believe me, just I'm going to ask your listeners a question. Imagine that you've got a picture a picture has been taken of you and all your friends. It may even be your family. Who do you look at first in that picture? Oh, yourself. <laughs> exactly. Now, this is, we even do it with our own children, which is terrible. We should admit to that, but we do. <laughs> that's the way we're wired. So another little phrase that's really useful is, what's important to you about? So mm. why might it be a good idea to attend the lessons? What's important to you about and then that allows people to open up. It's much, much softer. Yeah. With teenagers, they can be testing because actually the young brain doesn't mature fully until the age of 25. That's when the risk center fully matures. And we know that because if you look at car insurance premiums, they're extortionately high for young people. And then as they get older, we start to assess risk a bit better. Yeah. We've all looked back at our early years and we've done some crazy things. <laughs> so we have to identify that Remember, everybody has their own map of the world. And I know that life would be so much easier if everyone was just a bit more like us, but they're not. You know? We've all got our own map. So we have to understand the other people's maps. And particularly the teenage map is quite a challenging map. But what's important to them may not be important to us, but we need to try our best to understand their version of reality, how they construct their map and what's important to them and allow them to express themselves, challenging as it is. Hey, we're here today with Derek Borthwick talking about how to communicate better with our teenagers by knowing how to read their body language. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. 
you can get a clue to the way somebody thinks by the way that they walk. So if you imagine the old movies where you see the old fashioned professor, he tends to walk with his head leaning forward. That's indicative mm, that he's more cerebral. Yeah. Then there is people who walk with the chest open and they're more heart centric. And then you have the younger group of young men. We don't want to go there and they lead with another part of the body. I'm sure we've all seen the swagger. <laughs> so that gives you a clue as to how people are wired as well in the body language side. But getting back to the heart trigger, we can move awareness around. Now, what tends to happen is, and we're not going to go into the world of woo here. What we're talking about is things that help us program the unconscious mind to make us more congruent. If you think about this, all memories are a lie. They're a lie that we've created. It's not real reality. So people may worry and say, oh, I was at that party. I made a real fool of myself. People are not going to like me. The chances are, and I explain this as well, people won't remember. So the great thing is you created the memory. You can change it. If you think about perhaps a chat show where there's a famous actress or an actor on and they're recalling an uncomfortable memory, something that was really troubling to them or an emotion, the eyes look down, don't they? Mm, yeah. But when you recall, if I said to you, what's the color of the first front door in the house you lived at, many people would have to think hard about that and they will look up. So you look up for visual and you look down for emotions. So if you're speaking to your teenager and they're looking down, you know they're in emotional access mode. Interesting. If they're looking up, they're accessing visual pictures. So if you can imagine if you're speaking to somebody and looking down and you say, I can understand this must be difficult for you. You know they're accessing the motion. Mm. I'll ask you another question as well, Andy, just to sharpen awareness. Yeah. If you're walking down the street and you see somebody looking down and to the left, they are talking to themselves. Ah. That's if, they're, if, if they're right-handed, they'll look down to the left. If they're left-handed, they look down to the right. But generally speaking, if they're walking down the street and they're looking down, you know that person is having internal dialogue and accessing emotions. Hmm. And the teen will be exactly the same. Now, they tend to have more of this because they get involved. There's a lot of negative thinking and pressure on teens. Yeah. There's a lot of rumination goes on and overthinking because emotions and how they're perceived are important. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today you get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.